0: here tonight, you know, it's Saturday night. It's fall. You can feel the sap, can't you get, rising in the veins. (laughs) And as I look down over this crowd, I can see that Saturday night, which is a very special night in America, Saturday night is that night of excitement when millions of guys have got millions of dates out with them. And there's something in their mind that says, is this the night?
1: <laughs>
0: well, looking down over this crowd, I can say to many of you, No. <laughs> I cannot, Yeah, because you can see both sides of the equation here. And I'll say to you, now is the hour of decision. And I'll say to you, I see degradation everywhere. I'll see sin creeping out of the eyes and the faces of all them peoples everywhere. And I'll say to you, we are heading down the road of rack and ruin. What would Howard Johnson think? Well, all right, Hattie. That is, you're a very good man with the bowling team. Now, stop it. Oh, yeah, everywhere you see, you know. By the way, hey, Pennsylvania! (laughs) I chickened out again. Oh, gee. (laughs)
1: I'll tell you what we can
0: do. Let's think it. I can see 40 guys in Allentown sitting there. What is he talking about you should know, gang. <laughs> oh, it's scary, I'll tell you. Well, things, there's all kinds of scary stuff happening. And uh, we might as well get right down to the business. Speaking of scary things, you know, as you all know, I have a vast file of dynamic trivia, which I am keeping in a, in a sealed, stainless steel container so that 5,000 years from now, when they dig it up, I will have buried it outside of the Howard Johnson next to Interchange 12. <laughs> this, by the way, will be discovered. I can just see that... Can't you just see this archaeologist? The year is 7,398. And Professor Smothers and Dr. Hoodwinkle, the two of them have been chopping away for over six months. And finally, they, they, they dig up this little this little tiny square, vaguely rotted away. It's an orange shingle. (laughs) (laughs) He says, well, Professor Horvink, we have to come to a conclusion at last about these orange shingles. We have discovered over 7,000 of these edifices they must be a religious sort of temple. <laughs> and you know, in a way, they're right. Oh, yeah, right now there are thousands of people heading towards Howard Johnson's, and they're going there for the...
1: <laughs>
0: Got a little belly button there. I can see the two of them arguing whether it's going to be the limelight or Howard Johnson tonight. <laughs> and, and, you know, oh, yeah, I always think of Howard Johnson. I have a very warm spot my heart way down deep inside of whatever that thing is in there about Howard Johnson because I don't think there is a more beautiful sight at two o'clock in the morning when you're winging along the Pennsylvania Turnpike and there's nothing but darkness for miles around you and all of a sudden way down deep inside there is this little secret thing suddenly turns you on it's nature (laughs) And nature, friends, is inexorable, and it affects man one and all. And at two o'clock in the morning, he's whistling along in his Pontiac GTO. You know, the one with the, the lust red one, you know? He's booing along, and he's got, he's got stereo tape deck recorders. He's got nine speakers, an air conditioning system. He's got automatic windows that go up and down. He's got a rear window that washes itself. That's kind of nice. <laughs> He's got a trunk that opens up when you press the button, but something way down inside is saying, hoo hoo! (laughs) He's got $4,000 worth of accessories and $12 worth of car. (laughs) I mean, you know what that balsa wood differential, you know, and he's going along and all of a sudden, hoo hoo hoo! And he realizes he's got all accessories, but no necessities. And it is those moments when off in the darkness, when you see that green and white sign that says food, (laughs) telephones, (laughs) tourist accommodations, (laughs) restrooms, 38
1: miles.
0: (laughs) That's why all cars today got 485 horsepower. They're capable of 175 miles an hour. Very exciting driving one of those cross-legged, I'll tell you. So let's give Howard Johnson a hand. Come
1: on.
0: That a boy, Holly. I'm not one of those atheists. I believe that Howard Johnson lives. And he loves us. So things are changing out there and a guy's got to have something to cling to. you got to have something. I don't know what it is, but you've got to have something. Like my old man used to say, "Guys has got to believe in
1: something.
0: I'd say, what do you believe in, Dad?
1: He
0: said, well, beer. He did. You ever heard a guy that could burp the entire national anthem? I'm serious. He had an eight-octave range. <laughs> Fantastic. It's all diaphragm control, you know. you got to have a good ear. I remember, you know, I used to say, Dad, what do you mean? you got to believe it. I- I've always felt this vague sense of inferiority because I always see these movies where, you know, real kids, real kid types, and they have these fathers, like uh, Lewis Stone. And, in fact, you'll see them on the late, late movie now, maybe at 6 o'clock in the morning, just before Sunrise Serenade. By the way, how would you like to be in a film so bad that it precedes Sunrise Serenade and an lecture on Greek artifacts? Hey, wouldn't that be a fantastic gag? Listen, now, let's face it. There's two kinds of people in the world today. I mean, there are TV nuts who really read TV Guide. You know, who sit there and they read it. That's scary. You know, it's like guys that read streetcar transfers.
1: <laughs> I mean, the
0: intellectual contents is about like a mint-flavored toothpick. You know side will say the real inside story of the true Cleveland Amory. The true Cleveland Amory. And so, you know, right out there now, you know, I, I've often thought that there are two kinds of people. There are the believers who really do believe, you know, and they'll sit out there. Have you ever wondered who it is who watches Flipper? (laughs) I mean, a guy that just doesn't miss Flipper. (laughs) Wouldn't you just like to once see a guy who is watching the 323rd rerun of an I Love Lucy segment (laughs) that was filmed late in 1939 and he's still sitting there watching it. That's a special man. There's two kinds. There's those who can hardly wait for ABC's new second season. Can you imagine for weeks walking around? Gee, I wonder whether NBC is coming up with some good ones this year. Holy smokes. I mean, you know, the top Beverly Hillbillies. And there's that. And then there's the rest of us who keep walking around feeling vaguely left out of it. I mean, like the other night, I read this piece in the paper. It says... If you don't watch Jack Parr tonight, what will you have to talk about tomorrow? (laughs) And, you know, I felt rotten because all day long I had a lot of stuff to say. (laughs) And I didn't see Parr. And so, uh, incidentally, half of the office was silent. (laughs) I mean, you know, they miss Parr. You feel kind of vaguely out of it if you miss David and Chet. Somehow you've let the world go to hell today. You know, you didn't keep up with it. Well there's two kinds of us. Now 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 listen carefully. I've got a little idea. See? Now the one group, right now, at this minute, is sitting out there plastered to the T V set. They got the can of Valentine. You know, Once in a while, they have a rubber mallet. They hit the kid on the head. (laughs) That's a TV look. I mean, he's a guy who really digs the preparation (laughs) H-man. Very exciting moment, you know. When he comes out with that medical proof, you know. (laughs) Do you, in your own little secret way, always see them medically proving it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I just what's preparation H Friends
0: that's the new green cleaner
1: <laughs>
0: Just think how some people must feel though I mean with the white tornado going on you know and, and, and the guy says why that stuff is not even as good as the green cleaner And you're using green cleaner You got to join the crowd you know And out there in the darkness now, there's a whole group of people, see, that are watching this thing. And then the other crowd is waiting in line to see Gwen Verdun. And the third group is sitting over at Sardi's with black shades on. (laughs) And there's us. What in the world are we doing here? In fact, have you ever tried to explain right down here in this crowd, right now, I can see them. I could see it on every third table, there is a look on the face of one guy. He's got this scared look. He's looking up at me, and he's pleading. It's coming out of his eyes. Shep, be great. Be good, Shep. And all the rest of the crowd at the table are sitting there. They got that look in the eye. I gave up the late, late show for this junk. See, that guy is the poor son of a gun that brought all the rest.
1: <laughs>
0: For weeks now, he's been saying, Let's get out of the limelight and see Chef. He's, <laughs> he's great. And they keep saying, What does he do, huh? <laughs> I never seen him on the Ed Sullivan show. He can't be no good. He's, well, he's cute, you know. <laughs> And now here they are down here at the limelight and you can see fear. That that, that sense, of, that sense of, of being the lamb that has led the others to the slaughter. They've come all the way from Teaneck. Oh. Son, I wouldn't say that that loud. Have you ever had your foot Fall asleep. You know how it feels to be in Philadelphia. Let's hear it. Uh, smart guy, huh? Didn't realize I was a pro,
1: eh?
0: Uh, all right. Ah, uh, but things are changing. Uh, uh, oh, here's the gag I just thought of. Let's do this, see. There's that other crop, and they don't even know what we're doing. To them, radio is a thing you get the time from. I mean, you know, and here we are. Have you ever wondered how I can get away with it? You ever wondered? Well, it's because there's two groups. And that other group, they don't even know that we're on. You know, at this hour of the night, I mean, who's going to miss that, uh, you know, bad 7-Eleven? And here we are sneaking around saying rotten things. And all the other guys are sitting out there saying, yeah, man, yeah, yeah two groups, wouldn't it be great now if all of us, not only the crowd here at the Limelight, but also the crowd that's sitting out there, eight, you know, the guys that are out there in Teaneck and the the poor guys that are out in Allentown that haven't been sprung yet, (laughs) you know, all those guys sitting out there, if all of us, now listen to this, what a gag, if all of us wrote a letter to the channel that has Sunrise Semester on. And a, a fantastic fan letter, and says Professor J. L. Ashenschlager was fantastic. Let's have more of them. He's great.
1: <laughs>
0: and you know Professor Ashenschlager is this guy that comes on after the morning prayer.
1: <laughs>
0: he has trouble with his dentures, you know, and he goes, we have, we have the Etruscan or the uh, the Etruscan artifacts. If you notice this part here. Contains the artifacts of the Etruscan peoples, and that will appear on the exam. Und, uh... Eight trillion people are sitting out there, and they can hardly wait for poor old Schlager to get off. Can you imagine what would happen at CBS? 36 million letters come. Now, none of these guys watch Schlager, you
1: know.
0: Here's the program director, and all of a sudden, 84 bags of mail come in. He says, What's this guy doing? He's certainly not doing Etruscan
1: artifacts.
0: (laughs) And the next day, you know, we'll get a little delegation, see, of 750 people to walk up and down in front of the the TV station with signs, more Oshenschlager. (laughs) Oshenschlager should have his own show. He's great. Let's have Oshenschlager. Well, of course, what would happen is a vice president would be assigned to watch.
1: (laughs) And here it
0: is, five minutes to six in the morning. You know, and Charlie Witherspoon. you know. He is vice president in charge of special investigation of new talent. And all, all he hears is the blackboard squeak. I I you And that day, he goes into the office, and he says, uh, you know, that's nothing that is Oshenschlager, and, and he's knee-deep in more mail. <laughs> well, I will guarantee you, by the end of the week, Oshenschlager would be given three minutes on the Ed Sullivan show.
1: <laughs>
0: Immediately following the Yale marching team, he would come on before the last act of Boris Gudinoff, <laughs> and I can hear Ed saying, and now we have that new international star that... Millions of New Yorkers have been watching. Here he comes, Professor Ostenschlager. The village voice would love it. A fantastic new hip in-comic that's putting down the entire past. And we would... (laughs) We would write into Sullivan, see? Say, who's that bum Shelley Berman you had on? We want Aschenschlager. I couldn't get up off the floor. He was so funny. Fantastic. I'll tell you, by next season, there would be a thing called the Aschenschlager Show in color. And we would have done it. And by the end of the year, the average klutz sitting out there with his can of Valentine would love it. If he likes the 38th rerun of Lucy, what's he going to do with Oshenschlager? <laughs> and I want to tell you what would happen to Ashi. Within two weeks, Oshie would be going to the actor's studio. He'd get himself a checkered vest, and he would make an arrangement with Leonard Stern, and he would make an arrangement with, uh, with three comic writers, and Oshenschlager would be the biggest thing. Do you remember the guy that used to do the Shakespeare on television? What was his name? No, no, not Earl Wilson. No, no. (laughs) Dr. Frank Shields. Do you remember him? Man, there's trivia for you. How many of you remember Bergen Evans? What a talent. Let's give him a hand. (laughs) Couldn't understand a word he said. Well, you know, that's that great underbody of talent, you know. These are the people that appear all day long on panels. You know, remember, remember, who was it? Phil, Phyllis McGinley's great line on all the channels, nothing but panels. But there they are sitting. One hand, you got Milt Kamen. <laughs> next to Milt is Tom Poston. And next to Tom Poston is any one of 45 actresses who never made it. And they're all sitting there, and up on the front of it is Alan Ludden. And he is saying, all right, it's time now to hit the ging-gong. <laughs> it's time to ding the dooey." it's time to boop the buoy and now as you remember we had 74 bonus points ding 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 (laughs) what's it all about (laughs) who knows well things are happening friends we are living in times of fantastic change and there are all kinds of things in the wind for example now this is the time and i think you could tell a nation At its most festive time is the time that it says the most about itself. What it does for gifts, what a person gives as a gift is very important. You know what a gift is, really? That's a thing that you give to another person that he wouldn't have the guts (laughs) to buy for himself. I mean, you know, have you noticed on television all these things to chop up oranges and grapes? You can get electrical-driven toothbrushes and I've always thought about that does anyone ever use any of that stuff more than three minutes after Christmas who knows down in the basement of every house in America today there are 24 electric carving sets you know that you can get electric uh, I better save that for when the news is on (laughs) you know you can now get an electric fork can you imagine eating with an electric fork?
1: <laughs>
0: Can you imagine that little son of a gun getting away? You know, and the next thing you know, wow, you know, talk about X lax gee. Yeah, well, but see, the things are changing. And, in fact, one of the greatest ones, last year, I don't know whether they're going to bring it out this year, but there was this commercial, and it showed it showed this lady, see, you know, the, the, the usual, oh, kind of 60-ish-looking lady, with the blue hair you know and she's got these dentures shining she's got this kind of voice she looks a little unhappy see and she's working in what looks like bloomingdale's and here she is and one of her customers says no i do not want that crummy looking blouse She she's "Oh," and immediately this 12 year old girl next to her says well have you ever thought that maybe well I always carry it with me. And she whips it out of what looks like her stocking. She says, I always carry it with me. She says, have you ever tried Micron?
1: It has foaming action.
0: And the old lady goes, oh, it (laughs) foams.
1: Have you
0: ever noticed that people over 40 don't know nothing? (laughs) Not a thing. You, You don't know how they lasted to 40, you know. They're always saying, Listerine, what is that? And there's always a 12-year-old girl saying, Daddy, here, try this. Oh, just once. (laughs) I see, that's, that's part of the great mythology of television in our time, that anybody under 15 is pure and beautiful and knows everything. And anybody over 40 is corrupt and rotten and does not know how to brush his teeth. (laughs) And so constantly 12-year-old kids are telling their daddies, you know, they ought to try something with the foaming action. And the last scene, daddy comes in and he's made the sale. And he says, hey, I made the sale, gang, thanks to you, little Esmeralda. And (laughs) and the micrin with foaming action poor son of a gun all of his life his breath has stunk
1: <laughs>
0: maybe that was what was wrong with Willie Loman
1: <laughs>
0: you know if, if can you imagine in the second act Biff
1: <laughs>
0: poor old Willie comes on you know he says hey Biff hey mom I'm back from Boston oh they love me in Boston Oh, they love me. I didn't get no orders, but they love me. If it says, Dad! Dad, I'm tired of the phoniness around his house. When are you going to try micron? <laughs> Give him a hand. <laughs> Poor Willie. Well, you know, I, I, I saw this commercial last year, way to like bring it on, you know, and it had this whole thing about micron, and at the end. The voice came on and said, yes, and it makes a wonderful gift item
1: <laughs>
0: in this holiday season in the big family gift holiday pack. Have you noticed they pack everything in the gift pack this year? Booze. I, I'd love to see, by the way, that make a great cartoon. Wouldn't it? This guy in a doorway, he's over on, say, First Avenue. His shirt is ripped open. <laughs> One shoe is off, you know, and he's got his shirt, you know, and, and his tie is hanging down there. And next to him is a gift-wrapped old granddad
1: <laughs>
0: with courier and Ives prints.
1: <laughs>
0: and on the side it says, holiday cheer in the old style. <laughs> Boy, they mean it, you know. I'll remember my old, my, listen, I had a grandfather that used to get drunk. They always said, give grandpa a bottle. That was the whole bit for Christmas, give grandpa a bottle. And everybody else has got little fire engines and old grandpa, very distinguished looking guy. And he would sit down next to the Christmas tree and all around them, he had five daughters and they had 47 kids.
1: <laughs>
0: and a couple of them had nine kids and everybody had said, give grandpa a bottle. And there was Grandpa, he was knee-deep, and they came in decanters, you know, Christmas thing, little ships, little guys playing golf, full of bourbon that comes out of their ear. And Grandpa would look at all these things, see, and no one would see Grandpa until Easter.
1: <laughs> they knew, you know. <laughs>
0: So, so things, uh, all everywhere you look, and I can just imagine one morning getting up. Have you seen recently on TV, oh, it's, it, things are getting so, so interesting. On TV, it shows this scene opens up, and you see these little cars racing around, and they're on a track, and the voice says, yes, Christmas, with all of its wonderful toys and all of its wonderful, joyous games, and you see Daddy. He's a typical TV Daddy. You know the kind of TV Daddy that always says, oh, my tummy. You seen that guy he always rides around in station wagons he says oh my tummy and his wife the tv wife says and you promised the kids to take him to the little league game oh my tummy and 18 kids in the back he goes oh Danny, wah, wah, wah." and my mind immediately says is he faking them out is that son of a gun gonna gonna show them all and die of a heart attack <laughs> Instead she says, "Here, try Phenomint.
1: <laughs> and he goes,
0: "Say it tastes like mint."
1: <laughs>
0: Why I feel better already. Yes, we can go to Little League game. I always think how my old man would have played that scene.
1: <laughs>
0: I will leave it to your imagination. He says, "Oh my God!" Claw! Oh. My mother says, "Yeah, you should." With them seven beers last night. He goes, "Oh, shut up." She says, here, try a phenom. he says, are oh, you out of your mind?
1: <laughs>
0: the last shot would be him in the bushes.
1: <laughs>
0: Let's give reality a hand. <laughs> and by the way, you know, speaking of gift items, you see, all, oh, yeah, the little kid. Oh, you want to hear about that, see? And the father is looking at his little kid, and they're both playing with cars. And the announcer comes on and says, there is nothing better that you can give your child this Christmas than an insurance policy. I can see this little kid coming down at 5 in the morning. The Christmas tree. All week he's been saying, I want a BB gun. And his mother says, you're going to shoot your eye out. And he comes down and there it is. It's it's an annuity. (laughs) And it says payable on death $2,000. The little kid says, oh, this is just what I wanted. Let's give that poor little kid a hand. And that concludes tonight's salute to Richard Nixon. Thank you, folks. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he's got a pulse there. So hang in now at ease. Now at ease. As we said earlier tonight, things are changing everywhere we look. People are giving other people Micron for Christmas. Can you imagine, though, getting yourself one of those bottles for Christmas? I mean, Micron in a, in a gift-wrapped package and with foaming action? Well, do you know, at ease, honey, at ease, that scotch is getting to her. I can hear that girdle creaking. And and do you know that in one of the magazines recently, they had illustrated as a gift, says it makes a wonderful gift, you can get a man that's made out of rubber, and he's wearing a Hamburg hat, and he's got a Tattersall vest, and you blow it up, and he's life-size. And it says, at last, you now always have available constantly a friend and companion. Just imagine it. Just imagine this chick living up on Fordham Road and standing next to the sink is this man. And she comes home from work, you know, and she's got her hair up in curlers. And she comes home and she's carrying a bottle of wine that she picked up at Macy's in the gourmet section. And she sits next to her table... And she pours the wine, and Everett, from Homacher Schlammer, Everett stands and just watches her with a benign look on his face. Well, I mean, this is the new world. We are all being fragmented. We are reaching out. We are grasping. And I wonder how many people right now, at this minute, are sitting in the Route 3 (laughs) drive-in, grasping at life. Or something. (laughs) But there's a great big neon sign. It says, get more out of life. Go to a movie. Isn't that a fascinating philosophical thought? Get more out of life. Sit on your duff. And watch Michael Caine make the scene with Shirley MacLaine. I wonder whether the day's going to come, our lives are so completely abstract now, and vicarious. When a guy, he falls off the fantail of the Staten Island Ferry. You know he's been knocking down the, the eggnog at the company party. You know he's been hilting it, and now he's standing back on the, the old ferry there, seeing he's looking at Manhattan receding into the distance. Well, it's bad enough, you know, going to Staten Island. I mean, can you imagine living on Staten Island? Oh. <laughs> i love to go on the ferry and just go right around and come back, you know. But to go there, to live, oh, oh, boy. Let us have a moment of silence. I mean, just think of the people tonight, friends, who are living in Hackensack. I mean, they're so close to civilization.
1: They can almost
0: taste it. I mean, right now, there is a crowd living in Goshen, Indiana. And they're standing in front of George's bowling alley. And the only thing they can do in Goshen, Indiana on a Saturday night is to watch the neon sign on the funeral parlor. And they bet when the Transformer's going to burn out. (laughs) And they're just standing there, see? Underneath the Coca-Cola sign that says the pause that refreshes. And their family has been pausing for four generations in Goshen, Indiana. And off in the distance, they see that beautiful Indiana Turnpike. You know that the Indiana Turnpike, folks, is an elevated turnpike? It's high up in the air. It goes right over Indiana. There is no place you can get off the Indiana Turnpike. There's no exit in Indiana. And they just stand there and they watch those cars go back and forth in the sky. And they dream. Once in a while, old Clem turns to Luke. He says, you know, Luke, old boy, you know what I'm going to do one day? Luke says, what do you want? What are you going to do? One day, old boy, it's Indiana talk. (laughs) And don't tell me it ain't authentic. Dad, I, I tell you, I'm moldered in Indiana so long I got fuzz on my pancreas.
1: <laughs>
0: and Clem says to Luke, you know what I'm going to do one day? I'm going to get in that little old Ford of mine and I'm going to drive over the Ohio line. And I'm going to go down there near Elyria, Illyria, Ohio, and I'm going to get on that turnpike. And I'm going to drive right past him. And I'm going to run down that window and I'm going to spit down in Goshen. And Luke says, you're going to what? I'm going to spit right down in Goshen. I'm going to get down there, and I'm going to ride all the way to the third interchange. I'm going to go to that big Howard Johnson. I'm going to have them, what they call them, them fried clams. I love seafood. Luke says, I can't stand seafood. Any guy to eat clams do anything. And within 10 minutes, you've got a typical Indiana theological discussion. (laughs) So you see, out there in the darkness, life is hard and grim. And we are right here, friends. We are in the Babylon of the world. All over the world, there are guys saying to themselves, if I could only get to New York, the village... That's where truth and beauty is. And there are little chicks living in places like Appleton, Wisconsin. I mean, you know, little people named Esther Jane Alberry. And they're wearing their Montgomery Ward Toreadors. And as they stand in the window of their little pad, you can see the neon sign flicker and reflect on the braces of their teeth. And they got a copy of Vogue magazine. And you know, Vogue has always got these issues, the New York woman, a special issue. There has never been a Vogue issue that said, special issue, the Appleton, Wisconsin woman. There won't be. I am in a position to tell you that issue will not be written. Why? Because anybody who does not live in New York is not an official person. They're just little fat buyers. Their job is to buy the magazine But they take it seriously And so little Esther Jane is Sitting out there And she's got this copy of Vogue And on the cover it says The New York woman And here's this magnificent picture Of a typical New York woman She's 7 feet 3 <laughs> She weighs 74 pounds She has cheekbones made out of flint She's got these two BBs for eyes with all that black stuff all around her, with little ribbons and stuff hanging from her eyebrows. And she's wearing leather boots all the way to the top here, boy. She's got six-foot legs, you know. She's wearing this leather jacket that zips down. It's got studs all over it. It's the only studs going to get near here, boy. And there she is, typical New York woman. And you see behind her this Harley Davidson twin Four double carburetion. It's got Hollywood pipes, 722 horsepower. She's got her hand rested on that big old hog. It's hers. She's got a bullwhip in this hand. (laughs) The poor little Esther Jane. She's four feet nine. Weighs 187. When she's cheating... She only weighs herself when she's chinning herself.
1: <laughs>
0: there she sits. It's a New York woman. Oh And who's she going with? Charlie Apple <laughs> Charlie is the fastest checker the A and P has ever had. risen from the bottom. Just four years ago, he had this little stamp and he was stamping Campbell's Soup. So nobody could read it, you know, that little blur. And then they put him on the express counter, five items or less. Oh, yeah, that's where the rookie pilots are put, you know. And then he worked his way up to the number three cash register, and now he's on the number one. That's where those big, tough lady shoppers, you know, the ones that look like rhinos, you know those big ladies that come through at 19? You know, they got these great big carts. And he's standing there with his shades all day long. Dingity, ding, 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 Oh, no, kid. Dingity, ding, ding. Hey, Charlie, look what this one's buying. Dingity, ding, 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 ding. That's Charlie. Charlie has risen up to the top, and now he's got himself a 53 Dodge. That's the one, you know, with the balsa wood kingpins. <laughs> but Charlie's got it painted in psychedelic colors. You know, it's green and orange. And he's got this leopard skin, this thing that covers his steering wheel. He's got a skull that hangs in the back. <laughs> Charlie is living pop art. He doesn't know it. <laughs> he really doesn't, you know. Some guys put it on because they think it's good. It's pretty, you know. <laughs> he's got this, he's got this Hollywood fake tire cover on the back. Cost him forty-seven fifty, and now it just hangs on the back of the Dodge and goes dong, 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 dong. <laughs> he is the top man at Big Fred's Drive-in. Every Saturday night he comes in spinning them wheels. He kicks that gravel up against, slides his back end up against that Mercury next to him, and gets out with Esther Jane. And Esther Jane, though, is a dreamer. Esther Jane sits down in that booth with Charlie in Big Fred's drive-in. And Charlie hollers, Hey, a couple of... How about a cheeseburger, Esther? A huh? couple of cheeseburgers all the way with hamburgers, onions, the whole bit, and the uh, about have a black cow, huh? How about a black cow? Baby, okay, black cow. Two black cows, Dad! <laughs> and they sit there and eat cheeseburgers. And Esther Jane, has got this cheeseburger, you know, and it's the kind of cheeseburger that's called a Big Charlie or a Big Mac. It's got all kinds of little things sticking out of it. And every time she bites it, it goes, shh, squirts all over her Montgomery Ward jeans. Does that bother Charlie? She is married to Attila the Hun. And he's got this leather jacket, see, that says 14th Street A.C. And it's got roller skates with wings on them. That's Charlie. Esther Jane. Every night she says, oh, she's got a copy of Vogue. New York woman. She turns the pages. And there's another New York woman. But there she stands. <laughs> You know those New York women, their hair? And they're always spread-eagled against the Seagram building. Once she tried it, they were going past George's bowling alley. She went... Charlie says, come on, what's the matter? You got a scratch? Go ahead, scratch. Just once, wouldn't you like to go out with a chick? You're walking along Park Avenue. You're on your way to the chock full of nuts. It's lunchtime. You picked up this chick from the Steno's pool. You know, she's got it all going, vinyl, miniskirt, the whole jazz. And all of a sudden, she goes, there you are with your briefcase, you know? Oh, come on, will you? Gee whiz. Cut it out. She, well, I'm a New York woman. I gotta do these things. It hurts my back, but I gotta You notice they never show you the real New York woman? You know that little that little four foot nine inch seventy-two year old lady? The one with the pot on her head. And she's got this shopping bag made out of nets. It's full of bones or something, you know? She's the one, you know, when you're getting on a bus on 6th Avenue, she... Pow!
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, she's got a groin shot that doesn't stop.
1: They
0: never show her. In the, can you imagine her in Vogue? <laughs> You always see her, by the way, have you ever seen that ad that says, when the New York woman's thoughts turn to matters financial, her immediate reaction is chemical. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) When she thinks of money, her glands start going. You know, and it always shows these tall, thin girls running up and down steps with great big model cases and all that stuff. They never show you that real lady, that when her thoughts turn to things financial, she wants to kill her old man. <laughs> kill him. And so, the dream world out there goes on and on. And here's Esther Jane sitting there. The New York woman. I bet she dreams. Oh. That you could see the neon sign from across the way. Flickering in her little pad. She's got a copy of Bulk. And she says, Oh, if I could just get to New York, that's where it's happening. I would be tall and thin. I would reap I would meet real men like Truman Capote. Andy Warhol, they would understand me. They wouldn't paw me like that Charlie does. They would realize that I have beauty in my soul. In about, By the way, in about four blocks away, here's Charlie. He's just got his copy of Playboy. And he's got that big center fold out hanging down. <laughs> oh, boy. And he puts it up with his other objet d'art. Harry, <laughs> hey, that's a great word, by the way. He's got it hanging up here, you know, and he tears down Miss November. You pig, it up. Boy, Miss December goes all the way, you know. And underneath it is the caption that says, Barbie Barbie. Gee, that's a good name. I wonder what nationality that is. Barbie Barbie, she's a student at... N.Y.U. I wonder where that is. She is majoring in slum clearance. She reads Chopin the Hawa. The intellectual. But there she hangs out of the shower. He resembles nothing so more than forty-five beach balls having a fight, (laughs) rolling downhill. And Charlie thinks to himself, if I could only get to New York, I'd meet a real chick instead of that Esther Jane. You ever thought what it would be like if Vogue magazine had a centerfold out? Can you imagine how it would look, you know? Here it is, girls! <laughs> your January playmate is big, Charlie Greasy Thumb Goosic. Drives a truck for the AFP. <laughs> His hobby is 30 books.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Don't hold your breath, man. You notice all male magazines are only about women? and all women magazines are only about women (laughs) there's something wrong (laughs) it gives you a little insight you know but things are changing and I have this little note here and I want to bring this to your attention in this this coming up Yule season there are gifts of all kinds and here is taken from one of the local newspapers you know these question-and-answer things You know, they write to Ann Landers. (laughs) Can you imagine a guy sitting down there saying, he's so desperate, dear Ann. (laughs) Can you imagine being spread all over the daily news? (laughs) Right above the crossword puzzle? (laughs) Back in the trust ad department? Listen to this one now. You haven't heard anything. It says, says, Dear Counselor, my wife purchased for me a beautiful Scotch plaid kilt when she was visiting in New York. I am wondering if nylon panties and a half slip
1: are best to wear under it.
0: Could you please advise me? Well, I hate to give you the answer. Can you imagine this guy sitting out there, and he's got his half slip on? (laughs) Can you imagine chicks waiting for a good wind to come along? I mean, you know, things are, the shifting tides of change everywhere. And I can see Christmas when Fred comes down. And there it is in front of the Christmas tree, and he's opening up his present. He says, oh, my, oh, Marge, how did you know? And that's real Belgian lace. And of course, he gives Marge a Harley Davidson Twin Four. <laughs> and a bowling ball. So things are, by the way, speaking, speaking of the shifting tides of change, what fantastic radio station are you listening to, friends? And let's hear it loud. The Bring it out big and well, at ease. <laughs> and what fun city are we now in? And a daddy saddle. A daddy saddle. And it comes with stirrups. And it shows a daddy down on his knees.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm not kidding. You think I'm kidding? You can buy this, baby. And you can either get the English or the Western style. And it's, you know, it's got a cinch and a girt and a whole bit, you know. And I could see daddy down on his hands and knees and the kid... The is taking him into a three-foot jump.
1: <laughs> <laughs> daddy is gone along, you know.
0: Now, uh, this tells a great deal about our life. A daddy said. And I could just see the kid opening this up on Christmas, and ten minutes later, daddy and seven other daddies are, are out in the weeds, and they're galloping along chasing a tin fox. Kids are belting them on the behind. You know that you can get a $4,000 treehouse? I mean, it's got air conditioning. I mean, it's for kids that, you know, can't build their own treehouses. So this treehouse comes, it's got wall-to-wall carpeting, the whole shtick. So it tells a great deal. But I think one of the most fascinating things of all, you can now buy, you know, little boys have now taken to playing with dolls. They've got this GI doll. (laughs) If you've seen that G.I. Dow? you can buy $290 worth of G.I. equipment for him. You can make him either a single Corps soldier or you can make him almost anything you want. But he now comes equipped with a soundtrack. And it says, I read the piece and it says, now full realism comes to G.I. toys. And now G.I. Joe, when the button is pressed, he hollers... Hit the dirt! Enemy planes! And I thought to myself, gee, is that a typical GI thing? I can think of a better tape. I mean, if you really want realism, I mean, this little GI hollering, the only thing I ever heard GIs ever holler You know, I thought to myself, gee whiz, you know, I was in the Army almost four years and never once did I hear anybody holler, Hit the dirt! <laughs> Enemy planes! <laughs> so maybe I was in a kind of a loused up outfit. We said other things. I can remember Gasser one time. We've got gas masks on, see. There's 45 guys in my platoon in Company K. This is Company K, the 3162nd Signal. Airborne Mess Kit Repair Battalion. (laughs) We had this great big patch, see? And it was a mess of
1: SOS.
0: (laughs) With a busted mess kit hanging. With wings on it. The dynamic outfit. (laughs) You know, I think one of the reasons why our Army, why nobody wants to go into it, is that it's not colorful. I mean... I remember one time talking to this prisoner, see, and he's sitting there, I said, what's your rank? He said, my rank is Lentz Corporal, Lentz Corporal, Lentz Corporal. Here I was a T5, now if you don't know what a T5 is, that is an honorary corporal. That is, they they figure they got to give you some rank, but they don't really trust you. So you have no command at all. You have two stripes with a T. I remember when I first got them. I had them all wired up. You know, they come with gold thread. I put them on, and you run a little battery down into your pocket. I'd go out to Neosho, Missouri, and I'd press the button, and my little stripes would light up. (laughs) And so you know, I remember though the 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 only time that I ever actually heard anything remotely approaching, you know, speaking of great, great things that are said, I remember Company K, the handle platoon, we're all standing there. I stood like this for four years. Your mind is entirely turned off. You know that dream, that myth that it always says, you know, G.I.s, every novel I ever read, it opens up, it says, Charles Watanabe, Sergeant First Class Tank Corps, stood atop the turret of his his trusty tank, Madge. And as the onrushing German tanks poured down over the hill, his thoughts turned back to Elyria, Ohio. And he remembered that last moment on the porch with Myrtle. Oh, come on. I never once thought of anything. Can you imagine going four years and not thinking of anything? Silly putty. It was rain. The rain's coming off my ears. And the sergeant, Kowalski, would walk up and down in front of the platoon. and say, all right, you men, Put on your raincoats. It's raining. You could tell it was raining. You could hear it on your helmet. Think, think, thinkity, think, 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 thonk, thonk. So, you know... We didn't exactly fit that G.I. Joe doll. He's so, you know, dynamic. I remember us standing there. And one day, Lieutenant Cherry is walking around in front of us. Lieutenant Cherry was our trusty CO. And he was bugged. For four years, he was bugged. He was a West Pointer. And he never could figure out how the hell he got assigned to this. (laughs) And either could we. Not one of us, all of us, we have drifted down through that great vast, that great, that enormous flower sifter of the Army, and we've taken tests, and every one of us began with that clear-eyed look, you know. I will be an aviation cadet. Off we go, into the wild blue yonder. Another guy says, no, not me. I want to be in the infantry, and I want to be led by Van Johnson. And I will charge that pillbox. And other guys had these dreams of these fantastic things that we going to do. They were going to jump out of airplanes wearing jump boots. Well, the Army's got this enormous sifter. It's like it's like a flower sifter. And they shake it. And guys come out of the bottom. <laughs> they keep shaking it, see? And you don't know how it's done. You get a good grade on a test. And you get, you're in trouble. You get a bad grade on the test, and you're an aviation cadet. So they keep shaking this thing, and all of a sudden, all of us, without any word of explanation, have somehow landed in Company K. There we were. We've come from all parts of the country. Have you ever seen those table of organization things that they've got in the Army? It says, commanding general, and above it it says, chief of staff. President of the United States. Underneath it, it says, General of the Army, commanding all armed forces. Under this it says, Corps commanders, Army commanders, divisional commanders, battalion commanders, regiments, companies, platoons. They would have had to have, believe me, they would have had to have a table of organization 200 feet long. To have included Company K. (laughs) We were so far removed from everything. We're standing there one day and Lieutenant Cherry's walking up and down in front of us. All right, you guys. We're going into battle. (laughs) We had been afraid of that. We are going into battle, men. And the first thing we want to do now is work on the gas mask technique. We are facing a ruthless enemy. He is level to use anything. He's rotten. All right, now, at the command, and I'm going to time you. When I give you the gas command, I want to see them masks out, and I want to see them masks on. All right, now, at the count of three, on with the masks. One. I had had that gas mask hanging on me for over 25 years. That hung around, you know, there it was. Two. Three. Gas, gas, gas. Apples flying in the air. (laughs) Candy bars, powerhouse bars. All kinds of stuff which I can't even say in front of the kids. it up, we put the gas mask on. Do you know what it's like to have a gas mask GI type on? You can't breathe through them. And you sweat. So Lieutenant Cherry says, all right, you guys. That was over four and a half
1: minutes.
0: (laughs) Now, when I tell you to take them gas masks off, I want you to clean up all those apples. From now on, there will be nothing kept in the gas mask case but your gas mask. I want you to clean up all those powerhouse candy bars. And I want you guys to get on a stick. All right, now, off with the masks. (sighs) Oh. We're soldiers working, see. Now my candy bars are all over the ground. My my Milky Way bars in the mud. One two three Yes. <laughs> Three minutes and 40 seconds. There we stood. Then he said, I'll never forget this. All right, you guys, off with the gas mask. And now we're really going to go into action. This is a tough war. Off with the mask. Let's go. Sherman was right. What a pain in a you-know-what this is. All right, you guys. Platoon, lift, face. Next to me is Gasser, and Gasser is warming up. He's beginning to see that we're going to have another one of those mornings. Gasser starts using the only word that Gasser ever used. I can hear it beating around me like the sea somewhere off in the distance. come I cannot tell you what it is. It's a beautiful word. It says it. There are over 700 ways to use it. It can even be used as a gerund. Oh, yes. I have heard complete sentences <laughs> with clauses, exclamation points, <laughs> hyphens, using one word. I mean, it meant a whole world of things. So, gas is standing next to me, and so Cherry says, "All right, you guys, forward, charge!" Company K is marching off into the boondocks. Off we go. We've got a pack on our back that weighs 722 pounds. By the way, are you aware that there are things in those packs? Now, you always see these in the movies. You see Rip Torn. You know how Rip Torn is always in combat. In fact, there is about 500 movies made a year that have James Whitmore as a sergeant. James Whitmore is a sergeant. Sidney Poitier is in this platoon. He is going to be saved by this southern sergeant and he will then save the southerner and that's the movie company k was not quite like that we are now knee-deep in the boondocks our tin hats on our head each one of us has got his carbine on his back they didn't trust us we had wooden bullets (laughs) i'm not kidding we had a clip of wooden bullets So here we go, and I've got a great big bayonet hanging down, and on this side, in case you're interested in what all this stuff is that GIs have, on this side is the medical kit. It's your first aid kit. And I remember one day, this corporal says, all right, you guys, he's from the medical department, he says, now I'm going to show you how you use your medical kit. Now, you'll notice it has two SNAPs, M1, SNAP 1, and SNAP 2. The SNAP 1 is here, SNAP 2 is here. You have, it is near your right arm. You will notice your right arm is the arm which is on your right side. It is the one that is opposite your left arm. Check, right, left. Now, all of you hold up your right arm. All right, up with your right arm. All right, hold your left arm up. Now, your right arm raised four inches, and you will find it is resting on the medical emergency kit. (laughs) It is. Now, open at the count of three. One, two, three, pop, pop. Reach in and grab the blue tab between your thumb and forefinger. The thumb is your fat finger. Ooh, that's what burns you up in the army. They explain every little thing. It is your fat one that is hanging on the end of your arm. The forefinger is the one on the other side, the one that hurts all the time. Now, pull out the blue tab at the count of three. One, two, three. It is a little Band-Aid. He says, that is your emergency medical kit. In case of a serious wound, apply this to the wounded area immediately and then report to the supply room that you used it up. You will then be charged for the use of this Band-Aid. It costs 37 cents. And I always thought, you know, I could just see in action. This guy is charging a pillbox and boom! A hand grenade. His arm is gone. He puts the Band-Aid on. He charges forward and the supply sergeant says, all right, what's your name, rank and serial number here? (laughs) Oh, yes. The Army does not forget a thing. And so Company K is now marching out into the boondocks and Lieutenant Cherry is at the head of his men. We march about two miles. Then we march three more And we've got 75 pounds of equipment on our back. Entrenching tools. Do you know that there is a definite... Now, wait a minute. Do you know that there is a social differentiation between entrenching tools? You get two kinds of entrenching tools. When you come in the Army, they give it to you. One of them is a pick. The other one is a little shovel. Well, the shovel guys outrank the pick men. And so I had this pick sticking up there. I had two pairs of shoes, seven cans of sea rations I had 228 letters from my grandmother. I had four pounds of petrified cookies that my mother had once sent me, and they were cut out, by the way, they were cut out in the form of gingerbread men with green icing and raisins for eyes. And I was so embarrassed when I got him. I mean, here you are, you're sitting in Company K. Oh, gee, a gingerbread man. (laughs) My mother used to write me letters that would say, I hope you're getting your Ovaltine regularly. I can imagine me saying to the mess sergeant, Oh, sergeant, I want Ovaltine today. (laughs) I mean, you know, walking past that giant GI can full of that Boiling, burning soup, that coffee. And so now we're out in the boondocks, big packs on our back, and we are going. And we are going. And we are going. I saw a movie the other day on Lately TV. Did you ever see that one of the Marines? Where this insane Marine officer took these guys 25 miles through the Australian bush. Did you see that picture? What was that picture? Leon Uris, something like that, Battle Cry, what a crock of... (laughs) You know, I was sitting there watching that movie and I wanted to kill that officer. You know, you were supposed to relate to him and say, isn't he a great officer? He was just like Captain, later Captain Cherry, he was a nut, and he always rode in a jeep. Did you notice the colonel was riding in a jeep by those guys? So he'd ride in the jeep see and we're in the boondocks 20 miles have gone past us i've got my pack on my back it's digging into my gut i've got this this big old mask hanging on my side and gasser is talking next to me and 20 miles out now remember we have walked and hiked 20 miles our minds are turned off after a unit has gone more than 15 miles it thinks nothing it just goes Sweat goes down, and then the sweat goes up. (laughs) Nothing works. And then every once in a while they holler, I take five, take five! And you just go... (laughs) You don't even take, you know, you don't take your pack off. You sort of lean back on it. Your helmet hangs down. And Gasser's sitting next to me. He's sitting on his pack, and he's going... But yeah, well... uh, <laughs> and Zinsmeister is laying stretched out. And then they holler instantly. All right, let's go. Pick him up. Here we go. On the ball. Hooray! Hooray! Mile after mile. And then it hit. Out of the blue. Lieutenant Cherry suddenly hollers, Gas! 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 Gas attack! Well, we just kept going for two miles on momentum alone. Gas! Gas! Let go, no, you guys! Gas! Gas! Huh. Forward! Perge! Now we're going with gas masks. We can't breathe. The sweat is now up to my eyes. <laughs> I'm drowning in my own sweat. We have now gone another mile and a half. <sighs>
1: Lieutenant
0: Cherry-Hellers, Hey Gas off! All, all clear! Go, all clear!
1: <laughs>
0: this is the real army, folks. This is why guys really hate the army. And it comes drooping out. It was great, you know, to see over here, here's Zinsmeister, who before we left had smuggled into camp two pizza pies. And now they were coming out of his gas mask. (laughs) By the way, that's one of life's more exciting moments. Gas mask lets a lot of stuff in, but nothing out. <laughs> so, you know, we're standing. On the All right, you guys, take five, take five. We sit down. Then I hear that call from the distance. It always came out in moments of strife. You can hear it coming from somewhere back, maybe in the third platoon. You hear. Gluck, 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 gluck! The sound of a chicken <laughs> that has a special meaning in the army. The sound of a chicken laying an egg. <laughs> Lieutenant Cherry stands up. The entire company is sitting. He turns his back slightly and you hear... <laughs> Who done that? We don't hear nothing. Boy, we don't. He represents ultimate authority. All right. When have you done that? Don't tell me, none of you guys are going to come and tell me that there's a chicken in them weeds. And he sits down in his Jeep. All right. I will show you who's chicken. Company! a Hut! Sweat the pick is digging me in the kidney. But there wasn't one of us that did not agree with that chicken clucker. And there was what not one of us, but if we had had the guts and the talent, would have clucked. All right, I'll show you who's chicken. Right! 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 Now we are knee deep in the crud. And then he hits with his ultimate weapon. Number time! Charge! We're running! Have you ever run at the end of a 24-mile hike? We're running! Come on! Pick him up, you guys! Pick him up! Way in the back, someone go, kah, 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 kah. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: double time, I said, pick him up. Gas, gas. Gas. Have you ever double-timed four miles with a gas mask on? Four miles later, bodies are strewn, and by the way, one body was lying prone, totally unconscious, and it kept going, (laughs) oh, the GI never gives up. Well, instantly, you know, we're sitting down there after, after 15 minutes of this, boy, we've all lost 45 pounds, and so the word came back. There was an old regular soldier in our outfit. He says, hey, you guys. Listen, unscrew your gas mask protector guard. Take the front of it off. There is a little, a little cartridge in there. Throw it away. Then you can breathe. That makes that damn gas mask work. Run it out. Take it out. Jeez, you can breathe. 10 minutes later, we're out on the trail. Gas. Oh, it's great. That's the first gas mask I ever liked. We're running along, and all of a sudden, out of the
1: darkness,
0: (laughs) all of a sudden, this little airplane appears. It's a little Piper Cub. It's one of these little L-4s, and he goes right down our column, and the lieutenant hollers, gas, gas! And he lays this stream of white smoke right over Company K. I mean, at first I thought it was, you know, he had bad valves. You know, he goes right over. It. And I saw this smoke all around. And I heard gasers straighten up. Gasser go- And I took a deep breath, and they weren't kidding. They had gassed us. Within 30 seconds, all of Company K is laying flat digging into the ground. Their gas masks hanging on
1: sideways.
0: (laughs) And that gas, now if you've never been gassed, a lot of you think you know what it's like. I want to tell you, friends, being gassed is one of life's more exquisite moments. Because it suddenly goes down deep inside you. And it's as like a little explosion has happened there and stuff comes up. that you didn't even know you'd eaten. In fact, the first thing that came up was a birthday cake from when I was nine. I remember it had bunny ears on it. Oh! The entire company, oh! Oh! And that little L4 went whistling on down the, through the prairie and Lieutenant Cherry is standing there with his officer gas mask on. They have special gas masks. They're motor driven. He takes off his gas mask, and he says, All right, men. Just thought I'd let you know how chicken I can get. We stood for about 60 seconds. But remember, friends, he was dealing with the American GI. And here we are knee-deep in glop. Our own glop. He says, I just wanted to show you how chicken I can get. There's a 60-second pause, and then you hear... The G.I. is indomitable. Let us give him a hand wherever he is. We'll be back next week.